Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the show. I hope you're having a great day. And as usual, thank you. I so appreciate uh, your support. And also to all of you that go back and listen to the show that's archived, uh, you know, that is awesome. And keep spreading the word so more and more people listen to the show. And that way we can help more people gain quality of life that is people with disabilities. People like me, as you all know, I'm living with epilepsy, so I'm on a crusade here. As a matter of fact, I just came back from South Korea at the request of the embassy in South Korea looking for an expert on the employment of people with disabilities. I was so very honored to have the State Department department send me back again um, and so I want a special shout out to Gang Young and all of my wonderful friends in South Korea love you all and to others throughout the world that listen to the show also thank you hi Mark for being the lead sponsor of this show uh, you are just awesome when it comes to supporting me and my work and last but not least, Yejiko Dart. Special shout out to you, a true warrior in civil rights. And speaking of civil rights, oh, I have no idea. I cannot express to you how excited I am about this show today. I am so excited, and I'm going to tell you exactly how this happened. Two months ago, I see this book, Executing Grace. And I think, oh, that's interesting when I saw what it was about. You all know I'm a person of faith, and I thought, wow, this is like civil rights, justice, everything rolled up together. I'm going to read this book. Well, let me tell you, when I say that it changed the way I think about capital punishment, and so amazed at everything really in this book. It just had such a powerful impact on me that I said, you know what, I've got to find the author and I've got to see if there's some way we can get him on the show. And I am so thrilled today to have the person I call a Christian civil rights leader who wrote the book, Executing Grace, how the death penalty killed Jesus, and why it is killing us. Welcome to the show, Shane Claiborne. Thanks, Joyce. I am honored and just thrilled to be your guest. And uh, uh, thanks so much for that kind introduction. Well, Shane, for those listening to the show, let's start by talking about you so everyone will know more about you. Uh, maybe you can tell everyone just what you do and where you're located. Yeah, well, I'm a Tennessee boy. I can't hide that much. You know, uh, I grew up down south in the Bible Belt and East Tennessee in the hills. And I always had this kind of longing to, to see the world outside of the, the, the sort of small glimpse of it that I grew up. Uh, in. And so I, I went to college up here in Philadelphia, uh, and I've lived here for the last 20 years. But college is what brought me up here. And, and in 1995, uh, while I was in college, there was a group of homeless families, and this was mainly mothers and children, that um, were on the waiting list for housing, and they had nowhere to go, and so they found this abandoned church building, this giant cathedral in North Philadelphia, and they started living there. And we heard about that on our college campus, and it, it really sparked a movement uh, of us, and, and many of my colleagues and I got involved with those families, and uh, they were brilliant. They hung a banner on the front of the cathedral that said, how can we worship a homeless man on Sunday and ignore one on Monday. <laughs> I, oh, you know what? I saw that. I saw that poster that you had out, and wow, doesn't that say it all? 
Yeah, so that that's how I, I got involved in the neighborhood I live now. And out of college, we started our community, um, which is called The Simple Way. And uh, it's, it's just sort of a, a little village here. We've got a, a community gardens and murals and after-school programs and affordable housing and all kinds of stuff that we do. Uh, and then we also, you know, are, are trying to get involved with, uh, like you said, these larger systemic issues that affect our neighbors. It's, it's a part of what I think that, that beautiful call to love our neighbor as ourself uh, means we also care about the policies and the structures that affect them. And uh, recently that's been things like uh, mass, mass incarceration and the death penalty uh, that I've, I've been really deeply connected to. Yeah, I have a saying about that. Uh, love thy neighbor with no edits. Yeah, it's everyone. It's everyone. Not no just, exceptions. Yeah, that's right. No edits at all. Well, you you would then are you would you call yourself? Are you a pastor? Um, I mean, a minister? What are you? <laughs> <laughs> I've been called worse things, so I'll, I'll take that one. Yeah, I a lot of my neighbors call me pastor, but I'm I we don't have a Sunday service here. We're a part of some of the other local churches, because one of the things that we found is that uh, there's so many different uh, congregations, and many of them so beautiful. The last thing that we need is another Sunday morning service, so we didn't start another church in that sense, but uh, but in a lot of ways we're trying to ask the question of what does it look like the church uh, to be the church uh, when it's not Sunday morning, you know, the other, the other uh, six days of the week. Yeah, right. Isn't that the truth? Well, um, you've written many books. Uh, I, I know you wrote a book with Tony Campola, which I remember when he first, you know, had this uh, Red Letter Christians that he put out. That, that was another powerful book. But this, as you said, you moved into a civil rights area that's big, that, as you said, is systemic. So, what what caused you what caused you to write this book, Executing Grace, which is an unbelievable name, by the way, um, and and you ended up I can tell by following you on Twitter, and if you're listening, you should follow him on Twitter at Shane Claiborne because he often uh, puts information out there about sadly potential executions coming out and how he has. Uh, protested and got people involved. Uh, so, you know, you should follow that. But what, what made, how did you go from what you were yeah, doing I'll, before to what made you do this? There's a few things. The, the, one of them is that um, this became personal to me because after my first book 10 years ago, I started, I, I have always given my books away to people who are living in prison. That, that just kind of makes sense to me, you know, not to send them an invoice. But, you know, when people request books, I send it to them. And I've gotten to know a lot of people in prison. And I got to know folks who are living on death row. And, and, and these stories began to really capture me. I remember one letter I got only had, uh, on the front page of it had two bold words. And it said, please help. And it went on to tell the story of this young man. And, uh, and it, it, he started by throwing it all out there, and he said, uh, admittedly, I, I did something terribly wrong. I'll regret it the rest of my life. And he said, uh, um, but I am alive today because of the victim's family. And he said he faced the death penalty, and it was the victim's family who were Christians, and they said, listen, we hate what you did, but we want you to know that we believe in Jesus. We believe in grace. We believe in second chances, uh, that no one is uh, defined by the worst thing that they do. We, we believe God's got a future for you. So they stopped his execution largely through their advocacy. And, and he said, I'm alive today because of, of that. And he said, I wasn't a Christian but before all of that, but you better believe I am now. You know, he said, this idea of grace and redemption really captured him. And when I looked at the death penalty, Joyce, for me as a Bible Belt, you know, Tennessee boy, I, most of my life, I was strongly in favor of the death penalty. Um, I had all the scripture to back it up. You know, I was convinced it was ordained by God. 
And then I took a closer look, and what I found was was really troubling. So I went back to the Bible and unpacked some of those verses, but I've written in a way for folks that are not Christians, you know, that, that the, the death penalty surfaces so so many important things. Um, it's tied to our history of slavery and racism, um, questions about how much we trust our government and, you know, kind of imperfect human institutions that, that with this ultimate power of who lives and who dies. And, and, and so I, you know, I, all those things kind of uh, uh, were part of what compelled me to, to dive right into the death penalty. And, and like I said, I think it, it raises deeper theological questions, questions uh, about uh, justice and re- redemption and, and also uh Restoration, like how can we heal the wounds uh, of 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 violence in our world? Um, what is that first book you wrote? The first one you wrote, the Irresistible Revolution. Yeah, I wrote that okay. ten years ago. Yeah, and that's the book. Is that the one you mean you took to the prisons? Yeah. Uh huh. Um, well, how was that received? Well, really well. When I, when I first wrote I mean it, by, uh, I mean by the prisoners. How was it received? Yeah, great. I mean, I go I go into prisons and uh, you know maximum security prisons and uh, supermax all the time, and I, I meet folks that have been impacted by it. I mean, part of my core message is that uh, nobody is beyond redemption, and and I'm I'm a I'm a big believer in life, and and growing up in the pro life movement. It, it became clear to me that part of the pro-life movement was just anti-abortion, um, and I want to be consistently pro-life, you know, so I, I say I'm pro-life from the womb to the tomb, you know, the cradle to the grave, that, and, and issues like the death penalty, I think, really surfaced the fact that uh, many Christians have been pro-life on the issue of abortion, but not on the issue of capital punishment. And in fact, when I looked closer, I saw that the death penalty has survived in America, not in spite of Christians, uh, but because of us. Uh, Literally, the death penalty wouldn't stand a chance in America if it weren't for the support of professing Christians. And and as as one of my friends says, the Bible Belt is the death belt in America. Eighty-five percent of executions happen uh, in those southern states of the Bible Belt. Um, so, but it, but folks in prison that I mean, I, I, like folks that are living on the inside that are on death row that have absolutely humanized this this for me and have become great friends. I've got a little note here that one of them wrote me um, that he was released from death row and he's describing what it feels like after thirty years on uh, in prison to walk on grass for the first time. So I think oh. we sometimes forget that there's so much humanity that is at stake, you know, uh, in, in the death penalty and mass incarceration. Well, we're going to talk about this later, but there has been, in my world of disability, this really strikes at the heart of so much going on because people with intellectual disabilities, mental illness, but I want to add people who are deaf, oh, it's so terrible for them when they are in prison because, you know, they cannot uh, communicate. So uh, th- this is really something that is at um, the heart of many yeah. of the civil rights issues we're dealing with. Uh, and I don't think, you know what, I was first of all shocked at there are how many countries, is it like five or something that still have capital punishment? Well, yeah, most of the world has done away with it, and that, that's one of the things that's so important is when it comes to executing, uh, you know, our own citizens, the number one country is China, uh, surpasses the rest of the world in executions. But then the list goes Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, Pakistan, and the United States is usually number five or number six in that list. And that, you know, that's not the best company to keep when it comes to human rights and, you know, being uh, folks that are advocates for justice. So, uh, yeah, we're the only real industrialized country that continues to uh, execute and mass the way that we do. 
Yeah, you know what? That's terrible. That that is terrible. Yeah, I don't know how that has happened in this country, but what makes me, uh, you know, nervous and what is scary is the part that the church has played in it that you were talking about. But, you know, I was talking about this because you were going to be on the show, and someone said to me, well, there can't be that many uh, executions in a year in the United States. So I wanted to ask you, you know, on an average, how many are there, and are there certain states that have higher levels of executions? Absolutely. I mean, this is an important thing, like, kind of as we look at the survey, the country, because we, you know, we say we have the death penalty in America, but the truth is we have the death penalty in very small pockets of our country, and increasingly that's more and more true. Um, So this year there's been like 14 executions, I believe, but every year executions are dropping lower and lower. Uh, the number of executions. So they're the lowest that they've been in uh, 25 years. Um, and last year, like two states, uh, Texas and Georgia, made up uh, almost all of the executions. Um, we, now, we now have like 2% of our counties, 2% of like over 3,000 counties that account for a majority of the death sentences. Uh, so those are also at a 40-year low. So they, we're not really, when it comes to the, like the future of the death penalty, we're seeing like less and less death sentences, um, and there's there's fewer and fewer places that it's actually uh, uh, performed. You know. So why is that? Why is well, like Texas that, one of the highest? Uh, st- I mean, why is that? So I think there's a few things going on. One of them is that we have, um, in, in some ways, we've evolved in uh, well, what the Supreme Court says, we have evolving standards of decency. So as a society, we begin to um, rethink things. And uh, we, we, that, that's why we did away with executing minors. It's why we have put limitations on execution to not, um, execute people with intellect with certain intellectual disabilities um, uh, or, or certain IQs, and um, but you know there's one there's 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 a real hope that with fewer and fewer places actually executing, um, there could be a time where the the Supreme Court or or just our country cries out. Generally, we we are done with the death penalty uh, once and for all, and uh, I think there's a lot of us that would join that celebration party. But one of the things that's interesting is not only is it the Bible Belt, but it's also the states that held on to slavery the longest have been the same states that have held on to the death penalty the longest. And that history of, of how the death penalty relates to slavery and, and our, our, our racial history is so important, um, because where, where lynchings were happening a hundred years ago uh, is precisely where executions continue to happen today. Um, And just to bring that home a little bit, what we did was we moved from lynchings to legal, you know, state-sanctioned executions. And in 1950, uh, African-Americans were 22% of our population, but they made up 75% of the executions. Wow. You fast, forward, you fast forward to now, and African Americans are 13% of our population, but they still make up almost half of death row population and over a third of executions. So sometimes we think we're, we're executing the worst of the worst, but the truth is we're often executing the poorest of the poor, and we're executing um, out-of-proportion uh, folks who uh, are, are people of color. Um, and that that um, becomes increasingly true as you look close, closely at the death penalty. You know, as the old saying says, the one without the capital gets the punishment. And uh, that's often the case. Yeah. And, and you know what? Uh, people, uh, I'm sorry to say this, but people who are racist would justify in their mind capital punishment. And that is really very sad it's very sad i always tell people oh lucky that uh lucky jesus forgave apostle paul or he would have been certainly executed 
<laughs> that's one of the things that's so stunning to me, you know, that I, that I wrote about in the book, uh, the Executing Grace book, is that you read the Bible and you get the sense that, like, this whole thing is full of messed up people, you know? Uh, uh, Moses was guilty of murder. We read that in Exodus. He killed a man. David, who wrote so many of the Psalms, uh, uh, oversaw the murder of Uriah when he, after he committed adultery with uh, his wife Bathsheba. Like, and you look at Paul, who just tortured Christians. And uh, the Bible would be a lot shorter without grace. Uh, and if, if, if we believe murderers are beyond redemption, then we could uh, rip out half the Bible because it was written by them. Yeah, see, that's that's really hard to understand. Just as you said, it's very hard to understand people that tell me how they are so against abortion, but they believe in capital punishment. I will never understand that because both things, you're ending life both ways. So, you know, I, I will never understand that. But when I read your book, I must tell you, I found that story of George Stenney Absolutely horrifying, terrible. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.vendorconsult.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. We're talking to Shane Claiborne, author of Executing Grace on a Crusade Against Capital Punishment. Uh, Shane, before we went to break, we were talking about George. If I'm correct, when... Uh, this is horrible, but when he was executed with so little um, that they had him sit on a book, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. He sat on a copy of the Bible, uh, which he had been carrying, um, and his last meal was ice cream with the police officers uh, before they killed him. And then, you know, 70 years later, uh, in 2014, a judge vacated that sentence, um, and said he obviously didn't get a fair trial. We know that, you know, 70 years later. But you look at George Stinney, I think what's what's also deep about the story is that this, this is in 1944, but we still have cases, even this year, that have gone before the Supreme Court where African-American folks were being tried with an all-white jury because people of color were systemically removed from that jury, or cases like Dwayne Buck, where literally as he's going to sentencing trial, uh, an expert witness presented evidence that black people are more likely to be violent than white people, and that was admitted by the court. So this, this legacy of slavery and racism still affects our institutions, and it affects the the, uh, the, the practice of the death penalty, uh, because what we know now is that for every, this is a, an incredible fact, that for every nine executions, 
there's been one exoneration. So one person that has uh, been released from death row proved their innocence. And you think, man, if, if for every 10 planes that took off, if one crashed, you know, we'd be like, whoa, we've got a problem. And yet that's the, the case with the death penalty. Uh, 160 folks now that have, were wrongfully convicted, sentenced to death, and, and later proved innocent. And you know what? I cannot imagine what the person feels like who is the executioner and then finds that out. Mm, mm, yeah. I mean, it's horrible. I know you talk about this in your book, how harrowing it is for uh, someone that has that horrible, horrible job of killing someone. Uh, and yeah. surprisingly, the uh, family of victims, which also was very shocking to me, which is the next thing I wanted to talk about. But before I do that, Shane, your book, Executing Grace, How the Death Penalty Killed Jesus and Why It Is Killing Us, how do you purchase that book? You can get it from our, our website, which is uh, thesimpleway.org, thesimpleway.org, and we have a store that provides a job here in the neighborhood. You can also get it anywhere books are sold, Amazon or uh, any of the bookstores as well. Okay. Executing Grace, How the Death Penalty Killed Jesus and Why It Is Killing Us, absolutely riveting. I mean, it is Don't be thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to be one of those uh, books that is going to judge me or whatever. This book is historic. I mean, it really is. So if you're interested in that history, you've got to read read this book. But I have to tell you, um, there were many parts of this book that that were just heart-wrenching. But one part of this book, you know, I had a hard time... uh, Oh, I don't know if I could do that. I mean, wow. And that was the examples, the stories you gave of people that had like maybe a child and wife or just horrible crimes, horrible crimes where they were murdered. And then they were able to forgive the person that was the murderer and actually was sort of campaigning for them to not be executed. I have to tell you that that was that's that's hard hard to believe, I'm sure, for many people. Yeah, and, and there's so many of those stories that I, I've had the privilege of becoming friends with many of these murder victims' family members. And I mean, one of them that I mentioned in the book is is uh, Suzanne Bossler, who she survived the crime um, where a man came and, and brutally stabbed multiple times, stabbed her father, um, and he died, and she was stabbed in the head and, and basically faked her death in order to survive. Um, she survived that crime, and then um, as she reflected and prayed and thought about it, her dad was a, a pastor, and she remembered years before him telling her how passionately he was against the death penalty and all violence, you know, and, and she said, it just doesn't honor my dad and all that he stood for and preached and believed in to pursue the death penalty, and uh, and for herself as well. She didn't think that was going to bring, you know, healing or closure to her, so she argued against the death penalty, but this is the, the stunning part. In court, she was told she couldn't share her opinions on the death penalty. Uh, it was the state pursuing the death penalty. And so if she voiced her opinion, she could be held in contempt of court, fined, and even threatened with time in jail. And she, I mean, here she is, you know, barely survived this crime. And she's being told, we don't care what you think justice looks like, you know. And what that showed me is how we have one narrative of victims of violent crime that all fits the narrative that pursues the death penalty for, you know, justice for the victims. And yet there are countless victims that believe we can do better than violence to show that violence is wrong. And and one of the the powerful T-shirts that many of these victims wear, it says, remember the victims, but not with more killing. 
Um, and what they insist is that the, the death penalty only creates new victims. It extends trauma. Uh, it doesn't bring that closure uh, that it promises. And they've found many better ways to, to move forward. Like Suzanne, the, the fellow that did kill her father, has a, a life in prison sentence. And he's still a very kind of um, unapologetic and uh, I understand could still be quite dangerous or someone like Dylan Roof. So there are dangerous people, but I think we go, there are plenty of ways that we can protect society from uh, dangerous people without taking their lives. And when we do that, we actually um, uh, uh, undermine, you know, ourselves because we, we, we use the very violence that we're trying to heal the world of and teach our kids, uh, you know, not to do. Now the first time, very first time, that you ran into this where someone, you know, maybe they lost their father, their child, whatever, and they forgave that person on death row. Was that, like, shocking to you or no? Was that just what you would expect? No, I think it takes so much courage. Um, and and uh, I, I, I think for some, of, there's so many different stories, you know, and different versions of this. But for some of them, they said, I didn't forgive this person that killed my husband so that they could sleep at night, but so that I could sleep at night. Because the, the hatred and the anger was destroying me, and it, it wasn't doing anything to them, but I needed to move on from that. And then there's other folks like... Um, uh, uh, Bud Welch, whose daughter was killed in the Oklahoma City bombing, and he said, you know, when I, when I first saw Timothy McVeigh, I wanted him to fry. I would have killed him with my own hands if I could. And he said, but then he saw a news story with Timothy McVeigh's dad in the news story, and he saw his, him weeping, and he said, I felt like I was looking in the mirror. These were the tears of a father losing their child. And he said, I reached out to Timothy McVeigh's dad, um, and I, he eventually went to visit him. He said, we hugged each other, and we wept and wept. And, and Bud Welch said, I never felt closer to God than in that moment of healing. Um, and he became, you know, a very big advocate against the execution of Timothy McVeigh. And he says, you know, the whole McVeigh family is stigmatized. They're going to only be remembered for Timothy McVeigh, for the horrible thing that he did. He said, I get to remember my daughter for all the beautiful things that she did and was in the world. And uh, it, it doesn't do us any good to just kill their son and think that that's going to heal the wounds of this horrible, horrible tragedy. And from what I read, uh, the, vic- the family members themselves, they go through a horrible time with this whole capital punishment thing as time goes on. Yeah, exactly. For some of them, they said it, it, it's not just a, a, a sentence for the person being, you know, that's convicted, but it, it, puts, it sentences them to uh, relive this tragedy and, and often for their, their loved one to only be remembered as a victim of crime and to constantly see in the headlines the name of, of the person who committed the crime and, you know, one thing after another. And they said, you know, it takes 10, sometimes 20 or 30 years to uh, actually have an execution. And, uh, and some folks would say, well, speed it up then. And the, and, but the, the, the thing is, it takes 10 years or more for these folks that have proved their innocence to be able to do that, you know. So it's a very, very broken system. And I, I think, you know, that's why these folks who have been victims of violent crime and murder are some of the most credible voices in the movement to end the death penalty and to find alternatives to it and to better use resources to help victims because it's unilaterally true that it's costing more to maintain the death penalty than the alternatives, even like life in prison. Uh, and, and there's plenty of uh, murder victims, family members, I think, that, that know that we can have uh, better versions of justice that, that actually do help heal the wounds of crime and, and even leave space for the person who did that to change their lives. Well, you know, when you were giving that example about the airplanes and the crashes, I mean, how horrible when you find out someone that was executed was innocent. Yeah. I, I mean, it's terrible no matter what. No matter what. Yeah. But, you know, I have to wonder, you know, 
how can we do that, period, let alone that's like even magnifying how terrible that it is. But the fact is we are murdering someone. You know, we are killing a a person. Uh, You know, just as you talked about, this eye for an eye, that that doesn't go, though, with the New Testament, uh, you know, forgive forgive your enemies. That doesn't go. Jesus says exactly that. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I tell you this, you know, that, that, that we're, there's an even better way forward than the reciprocal harm, you know, returning harm for harm. And, uh, and, and, but even, you know, I talked to some rabbis about the Old Testament. They said, we've actually misunderstood that verse, an eye for an eye. We, we've used it as a, a, a license for revenge, but it was actually to limit how much one could retaliate, that you couldn't do more harm than the harm that was done to you. And, and they actually ended up saying, you know, the rabbis ended up saying, if we are actually executing more than one person every 70 years, then it is a bloody court, and we need to rethink uh, our society and the way we do justice. So one of my Jewish rabbis, who's very conservative, he's a dear friend of mine, he said, um, that that it's very ironic to Jewish folks that they have done away with the death penalty a long time ago. They don't continue, Jew, even Orthodox practicing Jews don't continue to support the death penalty, but they see uh, Christians using the Old Testament, and they're like, this boggles our mind. Because <laughs> not only do you have the Old Testament, but you also have Jesus, you know, who is uh, the... the nagging problem, I, I think, for anyone that it would, would uh, tend to be pro-death penalty, uh, we've got the nagging problem of Jesus to deal with. Yeah, love your enemies, pray for those that persecute you. Yeah, there Bless he is. the merciful, yeah. Yeah, there he is. He is, that, he is that problem with that whole way of thinking. Well, Shane, one of the reasons that I really wanted to bring this up and have you on the show is my whole life is dedicated to the employment of people with disabilities and quality of life and uh, ending stigma. But very sadly, there are many, many articles that have written, been written by disability rights uh, people about how people are being, you know, killed, executed that have mental illness you know, or uh, cognitive delay, you know, some type of disability, and it has happened frequently. And sadly, one of them was just two weeks ago, I think it was, William Morva, and I know that you frequently, you know, had petitions out and all kinds of things out there uh, trying to stop this, but could you tell our listeners about uh, about him. Yeah, so Will Morva was uh, a young man in Virginia who was, uh, uh, I believe he was on trial for uh, a robbery, um, and he um, escaped the custody of officers um, and suffered deeply from a delusional disorder. He, uh, he believed everybody was out to get him. And, um, uh, and so as he escaped and was pursued, he ended up uh, uh, being convicted of and uh, I think guilty of taking the lives of two officers. Um, and yet when it came to the sentencing, uh, very little of that was taken into uh, consideration. Um, and uh, so he was sentenced to death despite this mental illness um, and delusional disorder. Um, and, I mean, there was a massive uh, 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 group of folks around the world calling um, for the uh, governor, McAuliffe, in Virginia to stop his execution. Uh, but it did go forward uh, just uh, days ago. And... So I think we're deeply grieved by that. I mean, every single one of these executions is too many. Um, And I think so many of us know that we uh, uh, need to uh, 
do better than, than uh, I mean, literally on his death certificate, it says manner of death, homicide. He was killed. He was murdered by the state of Virginia. And uh, one of the early Christians uh, I love so much, Cyprian, he said, um, why do we call it evil when someone kills another person, but we call it justice or virtuous when our state does it in mass? And so I think that's one of the things we really have to name. And, and this issue of disability uh, and mental illness is, is a really um, uh, big one. I see it over and over as I visit folks who are living in prison and, and on death row. Um, and, and Joyce, it's one of the things that I, I admire about you is your consistent advocacy for those who would be most vulnerable and to take this issue head on because it certainly uh, shows its face here. And uh, I, I don't get to talk about this too much, but my dad was uh, actually in a wheelchair. He, he had uh, multiple sclerosis, and my whole life was, you know, I, I can remember it as a child playing pinball on his, uh, you know, lap as, as we uh, in his wheelchair. And I uh, know so many folks um, in my neighborhood who are homeless, and many of them are veterans and have uh, suffered deeply from the trauma of war and and. Uh, are way overpopulated in, in the prisons, especially when it comes to death row. So I'm so grateful for your work on, uh, and honored to be a guest on your show. Well, thank you, and you really get it from 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 your father. I mean that you saw this close up and personal. And I want I want to just tell you about uh, Mr. Morva. You know, if you read about him, which I have, I mean, he had uh, significantly, you know, paranoid schizophrenia or something along those lines. I mean, he had tremendous delusions, uh, hallucinating. Um, I mean, it is just mind-boggling to me that they would execute him. I mean, I, I really... I, I really was shocked about the yeah. whole thing. And how about Scott Panetti? What about yeah. him? Yeah, Scott's story. I mean, there's so many of these stories that, um, you, you know, you, you see folks that um, uh, have um, dressed up uh, in court, as uh, one of them as a, as a cowboy, um, and, and insisted on, uh, defending themselves, you know, uh, uh, one, one, in one case, um, uh, subpoenaed, uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, and the Pope and Jesus, um, sometimes believe that they're, uh, a Messiah figure. And yet these folks are deemed, um, uh, fit for court, you know, and it, it really is heartbreaking. Um, and and sometimes they have done often they have done really terrible things so no one's trying to erase the horror of what they may have been responsible for but when you look back i mean i just read a case about a young man that was so abused as a child he had to wear feminine hygiene products to keep um his his private areas from bleeding in his pants and just i mean the most horrific things and then we see those who have been harmed harm others and then if the, if the only solution is to take their life, what does that say about uh, us, I think, as a country and as a people? I mean, I think we can certainly do better, and we can do better to heal the harm that has been done to so many of folks that ha- have been um, uh, the folks that have uh, done violence in our world. But I, I, you know, I see over and over the possibilities of redemption and um, one of the some of those stories I've you know told in my book, but I think they're some of the most amazing gospel stories. They're stories of people that have been healed, and they're and they're stories of people who have uh, had mental illness that we found ways that they can be cared for um, and not be executed. Um, one of my dear friends, Art Laffin, uh, his he's a, uh, uh, runs a, a center that takes care of a lot of homeless folks, and his brother did the same thing. And his brother, um, as he's caring for so many homeless folks, uh, one of uh, the folks that struggle with mental illness took his life. But um, Artie Laffin uh, said, there is no way that my brother would want this man executed. And he ended up uh, advocating for his life and finding a way that he could be 
uh, put in a, in a hospital uh, and cared for and treated rather than executed. And I think we need more and more, you know, really courageous voices uh, like that and like yours, Joyce. Well, you know, another example. I mean, several of these people, you know, it's very clear. I, you know, and I want to say something because someone said to me once, in other words, you want these horrific, dangerous people out on the street, uh, and no, I do not. And uh, I mean, there, I do not. Right is right, wrong is wrong, and I certainly don't want other people harmed. But there is another choice, and that can be, you know, life in prison, if, of course, the person was really guilty. You know, th- there are other choices. And I know you said that in your book, that in no way are you saying that these things are right, but there's a choice other than capital punishment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, we, we say uh, we, we, we can do better than, than trying to kill those who kill to show that killing is wrong. Right. Well, I know that we don't have a lot of time left because this is so interesting what we're talking about, and you're so, so good on the radio, Shane, but I believe you now have a record. You're one of these people. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're one of these guilty people that has a record. Um, how did you feel about that? And it didn't seem like you were upset. It seemed like it was a badge of honor to you when I read, read your tweets. But how did that happen, and how do you feel about it? Yeah, well, I tell the kids in my neighborhood, you can get arrested for doing things that are wrong, and you can also get arrested sometimes for doing things that are right. Uh, and, and, in fact, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King said when he first went to jail, he was troubled, but then he looked at history and found that he was in good company. <laughs> and, and I was, I feel very proud of what we did. Um, along with 17 uh, other folks, I uh, was a part of a witness at the Supreme Court um, in January on the 17th, which was significant because that is the 40th anniversary of the first modern era execution. So after the Supreme Court allowed executions to resume, uh, that execution was January 17, 1977. And we gathered um, on the steps of the court. We held uh, posters for those 40 years with the 1,400, over 1,400 names of people executed. Um, and we carried roses, uh, Joyce, in two colors, one for the victims of murder and violence, and one for the, the family members and loved ones of the executed. And we put those flowers on the steps of the Supreme Court and held a, a banner that said, Stop Executions. Uh, and the 18 of us were arrested, uh, and we went to trial. Um, it's also noteworthy that several of those folks have been directly affected by the death penalty. So Suzanne Bossler that I mentioned, she's a survivor of violent crime. Her dad was murdered. Uh, Randy Gardner whose brother was the last person executed by firing squad. And that was in 2010. His brother was uh, wow. shot uh, by the, the firing squad in Utah. And then finally, Derek Jameson, um, who was an exoneree. So he was wrongfully convicted, spent 20 years on death row, had six execution dates, was almost executed. 50 of his friends were executed. Uh, and then he forced the prosecution to release over 30 pieces of evidence that proved his innocence. So he's a hero. These are heroes of mine. It's one of the things that we said in court. The, the, court, the Supreme Court should have welcomed these people as heroes uh, rather than treating them as criminals. So we did go to trial. We were convicted. We could have been fined $90,000. And I think what's oh my amazing goodness. is that it exposes like, uh, what is legal versus what is right. And, uh, and we said in court, you know, it may have been legal to execute uh, Ricky Gray, who was executed while we were, his execution was being prepared as we were in jail. Uh, uh, it may be legal to kill him, but that doesn't mean it's right. And it may have been illegal to hold a sign in front of the Supreme Court, but we contend that it was right. <laughs> and we'll probably do it again until we, we'll continue to protest until the execution stops. Well, when you said sometimes you're arrested for a good reason, only two weeks ago, many of my friends in wheelchairs 
where and other disabilities were arrested for protesting uh, in the Capitol in front of uh, Mitch McConnell's Senator McConnell's office, protesting yeah. against taking away their Medicaid, and many of them were actually lifted up out of the chair. Uh, and so, let me just tell you, with all of them, it's like a badge of honor. Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, just as you said, sometimes you're standing up for the right thing, and, you know, these are the things that happen. But, uh, Shane, before we end the show today, what message do you have for our listeners? Well, I want to say, as, as your, your, uh, our, your, your friends were being arrested, so many of us were watching that with tears in our eyes and goosebumps on our arms, you know, the, the incredible courage of of uh, family, you know, these incredible folks that are raising the questions of, uh, around disability rights. And, uh, I mean, it, 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 what, one of the things that happens through good um, protest and prophetic witness like that is, is that, that it exposes injustice so that it becomes so uncomfortable that people have to respond to it. And I think that was our hope uh, in holding a banner and going to jail and what your brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters uh, were doing uh, around health care. And it doesn't take much courage to say slavery is wrong a generation after we've ended it. You know, it took courage to say slavery is wrong when it was happening. And I think that's the case with the death penalty is we're going to look back a generation from now the same way we look back at slavery and say, how in the world did we think that was okay? And so it's not going to take courage later. It's going to take courage now. And the death penalty is on its way out. Uh, but the question is, what role will people of faith play in making history? Uh, and I, I don't want to just be a part of uh, remembering history. I want to be a part of making it. Amen to that. Well, Shane, thank you so much for being with us. And you know what? We end every show with a quote. And today it is actually Dr. Martin Luther King. And he said, capital punishment is society's final assertion that it will not forgive. This is Joyce Bender. Shane, thank you for being with us. Uh, we Absolutely. hope we can have you. Hope we can have you again. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at VoiceAmerica.com. Talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com.